You're listening to Circle of Hope Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. Hey, it's 2017. We're making it up. Nothing about 2017 has happened yet except for like the past uh, 17 hours or something like that. That's not so bad. The past 17 hours haven't been so bad, right? Has anything horrible happened to you in the past 17 hours? I don't want to just, like, shine on. Like, like I don't know. Today, like, my family celebrated. Uh, we celebrated we celebrated Epiphany. It's totally weird. On the first, it's, not, it's on the sixth, blah, blah, blah. I got a ton of presents today. My kids did. I ate tons of food. The past 17 hours for me have been really great. I slept in. My kids stayed at my parents' house. It was awesome. So now I'm really kind of making you feel bad if you're, like, past 17 hours. We're like, oh, gosh. But... Hopefully they they weren't too bad, and 2017 hasn't uh, done you any wrongs yet. It's, it's it's an opportunity to to start fresh, like I was saying. Uh, let me start with this story. Last week, I was in uh, Center City, and I was with the boys in Gwyneth. And I don't have that little clicker, Scott, so I'm just going to talk to you, and you can click for me. Uh, we're at. Here's a, there's a picture of, of Market Street up there that's going to come up. So I was, I'm standing at 13th Street in Market, and, and, and the, the, the spoiler alerts are up there on the screen. You can read it. But this is what happened to me. I'm standing at the corner, and this, you know, one of those double-decker, du- not double-decker, double-wide or double-long SEPTA buses, like the accordion buses, super long, decides it's going to go on the yellow light and block 13th Street completely. And I'm standing like right at the curb, like this is the rug is the curb, and I'm like, okay, this is happening. I'm I'm definitely not going to cross, you know, we, Market Street for you guys that don't know Philly too well. It's a big four lane street. I'm not going to cross that with my little two year old holding his hand, like going around the bus because the crosswalk is completely blocked. Not going to do that. It's like okay, <laughs> it's Christmas time. I'm I'm cool with this Septa. This is just so funny that you decided to do that. Then the light changes. Uh, we wait for you know the. He gets to go, and then we wait again. And then the next bus does the exact same thing. And at that point, I have two options. I can curse God and die, or I can say, this is hilarious, and take a picture. So I took a picture to document, and I wanted to remember that, yeah, that just happened. Not one, but two SEPTA buses just totally blocked my crossing of 13th Street. And I, this is something that kind of really grinds my gears, and I decided to be um, uh, bemused by it as opposed to uh, infuriated. Because this happens a lot. Sometimes you cannot cross the street because there's a bus in your way. I think this is a good metaphor for the beginning of 2017, or maybe for like reviewing the end, of, like at the end of 2016. It's like, no, sometimes you can't move forward because there's a freaking bus in your way. You can't cross the street. You can't move forward, and that just has to be okay. There's nothing you can do about this double long accordion septa bus two times in a row. It's just uncanny. It's okay. Uh, you know, maybe some ideas about that. You know. Uh, if you're thinking about 2016 and, and the ways that you weren't able to move forward, maybe you're kind of you're feeling kind of stuck at the beginning of 2017 because st- stuff went down in 2016. Things happened that are hard to, to, to move forward, kind of like a bus getting in your way. 
maybe some kind of failure at work, uh, in your family, relationships. These things get in our way, obviously. They're, they're big things that happen. But, but you know, the big things happen in, in the world, too. Syria, the election and all of its bitterness, the reaction of racist supporters of one of the candidates, the hope in uh, neoliberalism uh, rising in response to that. If you don't know what neoliberalism is, that's okay. Um, sometimes there's just a lot of stuff getting in our way, and I think at the beginning of the year, it's good to say, yeah, that's in my way. You don't have to like move the bus. You're not driving that bus. There are things going on in the world. Maybe there's some things that you're in control of, but I don't know. It's all complicated. And it's good at the beginning of the year, I think, to say, yeah, that thing that happened is still in the way. I can't get by that yet. Or, or maybe you can celebrate now. Oh, that happened, and I got by it. That bus moved. This is great. These things happen. Things outside of our control get in the way of where we're going with God. And I think that has to be okay. Before we go any further, though, I think one of my assumptions I need to make clear. I think that God is always moving forward. He's always pushing us forward. Always making a way where there isn't a way. So sometimes the bus gets in the way and God's going to figure out how to do it. There were were people, when I was standing there with my toddler, there were kind of gritty Philadelphia people that were just like, Squeezing between the bumpers of the uh, of the the double long septibus, because that's who they are, and there are ways to get. But I think the spirit is always flowing, always trying to move us forward into deeper relationship with God, into closer discipleship with Jesus, into more opportunities to love and serve our neighbors, into new partnerships. It's always happening. But we cannot go. Sometimes, it, sometimes there's a bus in the way, but sometimes we're in the way too. Sometimes we don't want to move. Sometimes we don't want to go. And an image that I have for that, I have another visual guide. That's the Wading River in Wharton State Forest. And it's called the Wading River. Surprise, because it's kind of shallow. Not very deep for most of it. And I went on a retreat uh, in, at uh, Hawkins Bridge Campground in Wharton State Forest. Anyone ever been there? Hawkins Bridge? Yes. Have you been to all the campsites? So have I now. I'm part of that club. I did it on purpose. Hawkins Bridge is one of the cooler ones, though, just for the record, because it's kind of one of the more isolated ones. You go down a dirt road for a really long time, and that's what I wanted to do on my retreat was to be alone with God. And it was September this past year, and so it was still warm enough for me to, to get in that wading water because if I'm by a body of water, I want to be, be in it. And uh, I was sitting... Uh, in the water there, you know, it's kind of tea-colored, but it's not gross. And the, the bottom is uh, all gravelly. And I'm sitting at this uh, confluence of another little stream, and the current is quite strong there. And I'm sitting, I'm sitting in the water that like, comes up to my belly button when I'm sitting down. It's not very deep. Um, but I want to be, like, immersed in it. That's just kind of how I am. I love to swim. If there are 18 inches of water, I'm going to put my head under and be, be in it. And so I was doing that, kind of just playing around, and, and I, I felt actually the flow of the, the current was actually strong enough that when I like kind of floated a bit, I got pushed downstream. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. Because when I'm sitting in the gravel, I'm actually getting my shorts full of like sand and, and gravel because the current's kind of strong. And I'm like, oh, th- okay, let me just go with this. 
So I, I put myself in my, my best floating stance. Got to get all of the, the possible flotation going on. And I see how far the river can take me. It's not very far. Because soon after, wherever I was sitting, it got pretty shallow, even more shallow. And I r- ran aground. <laughs> I, I might have gone like 18 yards, though. That was pretty fun. Kind of like a little water slide. And I, but, but you know, I'm, again, I just like to be in the water. So I, I thought I could do a little better. So I, I, I tried a different position for floating. And I like arched my back and straight and put my head even further back, like lifted my pelvis up off of the ground. And I was able to get maybe 20 yards, get over a little shoal and get a little further downstream. So what I did with my body actually facilitated the flow. I was able to get a little bit further when I responded to what was going on. This is my little metaphor. You know, sometimes there's a bus in your way and there's not much you can do about that. But another image, and it's totally a mixed metaphor, so go with me here. Um, sometimes you can adapt, and you can kind of feel your way to get a little further, and you can respond, and there's things that you can do inside and in your actions that will actually help you get further down. Okay? So we got these two kind of uh, ways that we can respond to 2017 happening. And... and I'm thinking we're looking back at 2016 and we're saying, what got in the way? What's still in the way? And then we're also saying, how can I, how can I do differently? How can I arch my back? How can I flex spiritually? How can I adapt new practices into my daily routine that will help me spiritually? Two kind of ways, outside and inside, basically. Because 2016, you know, on the outside, I'm just going to do a little review. There's some real stuff going on. People are saying 2016 is the worst year. They're, like, so upset about 2016. I don't know. Years get bad. My brother keeps talking about the 10 hundreds. And uh, he's right. Whatever, though. I'm not a historian. A lot of people are feeling 2016. Every year is an opportunity to look back at the pain uh, from that, that's going on in the world. Look at look back at the buses that got in your way and say, "Hey, that happened." And I actually think saying, "Hey, that happened," and, and even a step further, saying, "Hey, that happened and it hurt." Hey, that happened and it hurt me. Those are all genius spiritual statements. If you can if you can get in touch, this is actually happening. Uh, it's happening to me. That's mat- that's maturity. That's a spiritually mature thing to do. And if you can say it. To someone else, it's actually healing. And it doesn't go the whole way. It doesn't get all healed. But it feels good to share that. So I was thinking about 2016. And some of the the buses, some of the stuff that got in our way, I just wanted to to highlight and say, yeah, that happened. Uh, The Black Lives Matter movement picked up a lot of steam because a lot of uh, uh, black men were killed on camera in ways that could be analyzed in lots of different ways. But the movement responded to that, saying, hey, this is happening. And I just, want, I just wanted to point out, like, hey, this actually happened. 12,765 people were killed by police officers between 2008 
in 2012. I'm not working on six, 2016 because the way these number crunchings work is they take like years to crunch. I'm going to tell you about other numbers in a minute. Also, the data ends in 2012. So what's happened in the past four years, we're still working on figuring that out. 12,765 people were killed by police officers between 2008 and 2012. The, the five-year study, which grouped all the deaths, regardless of how targets were actually killed, so you know, there's lots of variables in there, reported that 77% of the people killed by police officers were men, and 51% were black men, while 46.3% were white. 2.6% were of other races. 51% of the 12,000 people who died were black men. And yet, black men are 6% of the United States population. Something going on there. I have to say, I have to call that bus what it is. Whether you like the rhetoric of Black Lives Matter or not, that bus happened. And it really got into my heart and into, uh, it got in my way in 2016. Those numbers happened. And they hurt. And they even hurt me. So I just have to say that. I, I, I hope we can talk about that more. Another big bus happening in the big kind of system way is the, the concentration of wealth resulting in the, the power of the middle class continually moving down and the concentration of wealth of the very, very rich uh, got out of hand. And we started to think about that some more, especially when a billionaire got elected president. A Stanford study that came out over the past four decades uh, said that only the very rich, the top 1%, oh no, the top 0.1%, tenth of a percent, have realized wealth increases in the U.S. Um, over the past four decades. In 2012, the top tenth of a percent include 160,000 households with total net assets of more than $20 million. At the same time, the middle class, and that's each of those 160,000 households has a $20 million net worth. That's where all of the wealth is concentrated, at least $20 million in the bank in assets. Um, and at the same time, the middle class, uh, the 50th to 90th percentiles of wealth have experienced a decline in their wealth share. I'm sorry if I'm throwing a bunch of numbers at you, but it's real. I'm talking about like real life things that are getting in our way. This is happening. It's getting worse. The church needs to respond in some way. I don't know. We're going to need to create a mutuality system that actually says we're going to take care of each other. We're going to have to actually walk the walk of a life in community because I don't think that these people are going to take care of us, and I don't know if we're going to be able to take them down. I'm going to spend 2017 building the alternative to that I'm going to invite people to build the, alter the alternative I could decide to go tear it down I could say I'm going to fight the 1% or the 0.1% and I think some people might be called to that but I prefer to create the alternative here where we're actually sharing and our net worth together the people in this room I don't think it's up to 20 million yet but I feel a lot more secure when I'm banded together with you because I don't think that people in power are going to take care of us. That happened. It's happening. It's happening to us.
one more for the big things that are happening in my view there are a lot more things that are happening but I just thought of three technology and it's the way it's changing how we are human uh, today's teens spend more than seven and a half hours a day consuming media watching TV, listening to music, surfing the web, social networking, and playing video games. My mother-in-law, uh, over the Hanukkah dinner table, was saying, her, oh, my phone keeps uh, like draining a battery so fast. I hate this new phone. And so we were all looking at our battery usage. You know, you can do this, and you can see which apps you um, are using. I don't know if you guys are that savvy. I, I, I learned about this at Hanukkah. And... Uh, uh, I had spent, I think, an hour and a half on Facebook in the past 24 hours, like looking at Facebook for an hour and a half. And I was like, dang! <laughs> it didn't feel like that, but I had just let an hour and a half get sucked out of my pocket. So uh, I'm aware of, of how that uh, is affecting me. And uh, one of the things we said in our map, which is our... Our, our strategy for how we're going to build the kingdom of God together. Uh, we, we, we listen to God every year and we say, what, what's God leading us to do? And one of the things we said that God really um, was pushing us towards, uh, the current was flowing towards responding to technology in a healthy way, to really do some good thinking about what we're going to do about these um, addictions that we have to screens. And... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to do that in 2017. I'm going to work on that with you. So let me switch gears here back to that image of how I was responding in the water to what I did. How could I respond? What was going on in me that uh, could uh, help me get further down the line? Again, I'm, I'm, I'm doing big, broad strokes, but I'm thinking more personally now. What's going on inside of us, not outside of us? An anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States. They affect 40 million adults in the United States, age 18 and older, which is 18% of the population. I'm sure that some of us in the room have, a, have an experience personally uh, with some kind of uh, anxiety disorder. And the same study that I was reading about, you know, the big, the big picture anxiety, it's one of the more commonly uh, untreated diagnoses in the mental health world because it is also so pervasive. It's like, yeah, I got anxiety. So what? Like, that's just who I am. I'm going to adapt to it. I'm going to kind of make friends with that fear and run aground <laughs> and get stuck. I think it's totally common, and I want to. I want. I want in 2017 to undo some of that and help us work on how can um, perfect love cast out my fear. How can a, a life with God touch, <laughs> like we were singing in the song, "Your touch is all I need." Well, how does how does that even work? Are you serious? How, your touch is all I need. It doesn't feel like that all the time. Especially when you're in a moment of some pretty intense anxiety. So 
I want to keep talking about that 2017. I want to keep working uh, together to unmask some of the ways we get stuck in our anxiety, whether we have a diagnosis or not. That fear is elemental to who we are as human beings, and it's, it's elemental to what Jesus came to undo. They're saying, here's another thing. They're saying that millennials, people born uh, 1983, 84, and after, are the most risk-averse generation ever. Anything that happens now is the worst thing that ever happened ever, just so you know, uh, because we have to have a headline that someone will click and read. But they're, they're, this is from like a sort of economic perspective. Uh, millennials, the, 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 the next kind of rising generation in, in the workforce, they have done studies, and, and there are, there's quite a bit of data to support the idea that millennials are economically risk-averse. They're not investing their money. Uh, they're kind of, you know, to put it kind of colloquially, they're putting their money under a mattress and waiting for the end. <laughs> There's this kind of hopelessness that is rising in our culture. Um, and that, you know, that economic thing is kind of just a metaphor, but it's an indicator of how people are actually feeling. And uh, I want to figure out how to respond to that in 2017. And I think one of the things that we can do is band together with our common purpose. Yeah, there is no hope in your bank account. And yeah, the the financial market, as we saw in 2008, is kind of made up. And we're just making it up again. So don't put your trust there. Build something else. Build this alternative that we are we are doing. Put put your back into making something that's gonna last and even last forever. I think that that's a, a really good response to hopelessness, even has, as it exists financially and uh, all through our lives. What can, we, what can we do to build this body? Who can we include? How can we play a part in the team? In general, I think at the beginning of a, of a year, we're, we're big as a culture on making resolutions. I love resolutions. Just go on record, and I know there's different types of people, um, but I'm, I'm a resoluter, a resolver, because I like the opportunity to start fresh, and I like the opportunity to try again to win. The real success of, of someone who makes resolutions, though, is that they don't need that kind of watershed moment. <laughs> Every time you fail is an opportunity to resolve again. Every time... Your, the discipline that you set out to do, you fall off the wagon, so to speak, you get, you get to get back on the wagon. And uh, I think that 2017, at the beginning of the year, we can say, hey, let's do it together and, and, and kind of harness the, uh, the beginnings, the, that, that energy that comes with the start of something. And then continue to celebrate all the next starts that we're going to have. Because if you're going to succeed at any of the disciplines that you set out to do in 2017, you're going to fail, and you're going to do it again. And that's the first time that you'll succeed. And I beg you to celebrate that moment and everyone after it. Um, one, of the thing, one of the disciplines I like to do is contemplative prayer, which is a, a quieting of the mind and, and, and trying to make an empty space in my heart for God to fill, to really 
uh, commune with God for uh, a period of time, usually in the morning. And I, I don't remember who said it, but one of the early desert fathers, uh, they were the, the pre-Roman uh, monks that really got into the spiritual life. They lived out in the desert and talked to God all day. Uh, they said one of the guys was talking to his his master, his the person that was teaching him. A novice was asking him, "Well, is it a, like? Do you feel bad?" And I'm totally paraphrasing. I don't know if this is how it actually went, but um, do you feel bad like when you're when you're you're meditating and a thought comes into your mind and and you get totally distracted and you're like all the way over here down this rabbit hole? And the the master, the the abba, the the father monk said, "No." That's an opportunity for me to turn back to God. And it's that turning that I'm getting good at. And so every time I'm able to do that, when I realize I can turn back to God and I do it, it's a celebration. So I want in 2017 to celebrate every opportunity I have to turn back to God, to turn back to my discipline to turn back to the tiny thing that I decided to do. I was talking with my teen cell that meets in Collingswood at the pizza shop, and uh, we were kind of coming up with resolutions for 2017, some of us. Not everyone was doing it, but I was trying to get them to think about what they were going to do different in 2017. And uh, someone said something like, I'd like to be a better person. <laughs> and I think we all think that that's like our, that's where we start. I'd like to be better at, like, being nice to people. And it's like, that's a really crappy resolution. You're never going to win at that. We resolve not to be. We resolve to do something. Something that's achievable. That we can say, no, I did that thing. So if I wanted to be a kinder person, I could resolve to compliment my friends. Uh, I could resolve to do something nice for someone in some intentional way every day. That's what um, I was pushing the teens toward and what, what I'm pushing us all towards in 2017. If you're a resolver, resolve to do something that you can do. Not to, not, don't resolve to be something that you'll be able to judge yourself about in seven days when it's time to turn back to God. I want to end with this... Uh, prayer from Reinhold Niebuhr that's pretty famous. Put it up there. Oh, g- give me just the first part first, Scott. I think there's there yeah, that this is the famous part that you've all heard before. God give me grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed. Courage to change the things which should be changed and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. Reinhold Niebuhr was a famous theologian at the beginning of the 20th century, and he wrote this prayer, and it got kind of truncated. There's still a lot of wisdom in this first part, but it's kind of lacking the oomph, I think, that we need at the beginning of 2017 that he added at the end. Put the, put the next part up there, Scott. Because that first part that everyone likes, whether they're Christian or not, it's called the serenity prayer, they like this idea that I can choose. They like this idea that I will know that, you know, I can't change everything. Sometimes there's a bus in my way. 
Sometimes I can do something to float further down the river. I can make these choices. And that's universally true, and I applaud all human beings that want to figure out how to do that. And I appreciate that this has kind of gotten into our cultural understanding of what it means to be a human being. The serenity prayer is, is common. People use it a lot. But I think the, the power that we need to do it is in the rest of the poem, the rest of the prayer. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. The key, the oomph that we need is God doing it with us? Is the Spirit's flow pushing us forward? We can't do enough on our own. We can't just have the wisdom. I mean, we can get down the line, but at some point, we need this promise of the future to imagine a future that's brighter than the darkness we live in. We need a, a, a future that is uh, more than like just okay, more than mediocrity that sometimes we feel stuck in. Taking as Jesus did, the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. I think that's, that's what I've been talking about for the past 20 minutes. Yeah, there's a bus in the way. That's, how, that's just how it is. I'd like it to be different, but it's not. So what am I going to do to do what I can? How am I going to respond to the world as it is? not as I wish that it was. It's that wishful, I just wish it was better. I just, I just want it to stop. I want, these, I want the bus to move. Not, you'll have to move. You'll have to do something. You'll have to move with the spirit as it's pushing you. Flex with it and respond and connect. If only here and in your cell meeting, perfect opportunities great disciplines that we have built into the fabric of who we are as a community. But there's more too. Because you might be paralyzed by the news. Uh, you know, it's too bleak. Kids in Syria, this image of Om Omran just continues to kill me. What should I do? I just wish this craziness in Syria would stop. It's so complex. Have you tried to figure out the geopolitics of what's happening in Syria? Blow your mind. But then there's Omron, and, he, and he's right there. What am I going to do? So what I did on Saturday, I, I don't know, I went to this drone protest in Horsham. We have weaponized drones being piloted from very near Horsham. It's less than an hour away north of Philadelphia. And this group of hippies organized uh, a protest once a month in 2016 where we're going to say, hey, we don't like that you're flying drones to kill people in Yemen and other places like where Omran lives. Omran actually is not getting dropped on by U.S. bombs, more Russian bombs and Syrian bombs, his own government. I don't know. I don't know if going to that drone protest does anything. I know for a fact that it's not connected to Omran at all. But I went because of Omran, and I prayed with him in my mind because that image haunts me and I want to do something I know it doesn't solve it 
but I went. I did something. I, I'd, like, I'd like to recommend that kind of, yeah, it doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. That's okay. The world is as it is, and you can do something. Just go with it. Do, do what you can, and trust Jesus to do what you do with what you have, what he will. Every consideration of time and change needs to be injected with the promise of eternity. I think that's the solution. It's when I, when I do what I can and it doesn't really make a difference or I can't connect the dots the way I feel like I need to, I do connect one dot between me and the future that's promised, even beyond the, the life that, as I know it now. This sinful world will pass away, and a new future is promised. And that little, <laughs> maybe, dotted line of connection, that tenuous strand of hope that I have in the future in the eternity that is promised to each of us because of the inbreaking of Jesus in the world, the new life that he created for all of us and he promises to return. Advent is a celebration of when Jesus came the first time, but it's also a time to expect and, and wait for when Jesus comes again, when the promises come to their fullness, when we get to participate in eternity in a way that doesn't uh, leave us dissatisfied the way some of our actions do now. In uh, 1 Corinthians 3, I'll end with this. Paul gives us one of those promises again. The, uh, The people in Corinth are kind of squabbling because they have a bunch of different people that have influenced them and uh, they're they're thinking in these kind of like human factions. Oh, Apollos? I follow him because he knows the good stuff. Oh, Paul? He's the one that was here first. I'm like an original with Paul. Oh, you know, Cephas? Peter? I heard about what he said and he was hanging with Jesus like one-on-one, human-to-human. He was like, you know, the main dude. So they're having this squabble. And Paul has this whole argument about, come on, guys, it's bigger than that. It, it's bigger than, than these kind of human understandings. Like, if we, get, if we get divided up, we're not going to build anything together. And he ends his argument with this. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world. All things are yours, even the world or life or death. All things are yours, or the present, or the future. All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. That's that tenuous connection that I'm talking about that's real, that Paul promises to us most recently. But it goes way back. We started with the prophets talking about the the Prince of Peace that would bring about this kind of reign that we all long for. kind of humanity is built for this justice that gets promised in the prophets of old. And Paul promises it again way back in the first century. And you might feel disconnected from that. And that's okay. 
That's why kind of why we get together once a week to remind ourselves this is who we are and this is who we want to be. So I'll remind you again in 2017, we're connected to the, the future that is eternity beyond life and death. The world is ours. Yeah, it's messed up. Yeah, we're messed up. You're messed up. I'm messed up. It's okay. I don't know exactly how this is all going to work, but I am going to do this thing that I can. I am going to be this people who we are. I am going to love with the energy that God has given me, and I am going to uh, accept there are some things that I can change. There are some things that I can't, but I'm going to put my back into doing what I can and taking advantage of this opportunity to turn towards that and start moving. 2017, you're an opportunity for turning to God, and you're going to have a lot more opportunities to turn to God in 2017. And I'm praying for you that you take them. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect tab at circleofhope.net.